Hello, hello, and welcome to Killer Casting. I am Lisa Zambetti. I am a casting director in Los Angeles. I cast the long-running CBS show Criminal Minds, as well as many other projects. And I'm so excited to be here today. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in the casting world, there are ladders and there are legacies. And the ladder, let's be honest, to become a casting director, there are very few rungs. There's like maybe three or four rungs. But Boy, swinging to each of those rungs can be really, really hard. You can feel like you're never going to make it there. And as you've got your eye on the prize to become a casting director, you look at the people who've come before you. You look at these icons, these godmothers and godfathers. And there are really legacies of people that you work under as you're making your way up. And and some of them really become your mentors and guides. And some of them show you what you don't want to be when you become a casting director. But joining me today is truly an artist, a godfather, a mentor, a mensch, a, a many, many things. And I'm so, so pleased that you're going to meet him and that he's come on the show to talk about his life, his career, and his new book. Will you please introduce yourself? Well, hi, I'm really glad to be invited to join you. And my name is John Frank Levy. Well, Mr. Levy, please tell us the, the, the little tiny things that you have cast in your career. Just hit some of the highlights, if you will. Sure, I'd be happy to. I joined the casting office of head of the class when I was newly at Warner Brothers. And later, I added Leonardo DiCaprio to Growing Pains. And then I got a script put on my desk by the wonderful late Phyllis Huffman that was the script for China Beach. And then a little show came aboard my life, which changed my life completely. It was called ER. And it lasted for 15 years and more than 330 episodes and Damn it, at least 250 of them were really good. And then I also did the pilot in the first two seasons of The West Wing. <laughs> and most recently, I did 11 years of Shameless. I did Southland and Animal Kingdom. And that's those are the highlights. Yeah, well, all of those shows just you know, sent chills down my spine because I really feel like you and I have a lot of things in common, mainly that we are both from the theater. And I got I to gotta go back for a second. So you have written this book. Please tell us the title of your book. Sure. It's called Right for the Role. And for me, that's beyond the obvious that every actor we've ever met, Lisa, yeah. thinks they're yeah. right for every role. Right. But really, the book is about my journey to find the role that I was right for that would create the opportunity for me to bring my best self to my work and contribute to the project successes. It taught me what I had already known from being a young athlete and having worked in the theater and being something of a hippie in the sixties that, that my main thrust was collaboration, community, and mutual respect. And, you know, not everybody's the quarterback and not everybody's the star, not everybody's the showrunner, but everybody who's the head of any department or who works under the head of any department 
is a contributor. And that's a great feeling and something I've really loved. Yeah. So what, when I was reading through your book, I was pouring through your book and it took me a while because I was just sort of absorbing each chapter. And it, what's great about John's book, everybody, is that he weaves through his professional life and the chapters of his professional life, but it's interspersed with so much candor about your personal life and what you're going through behind the scenes as you're coming aboard and casting these iconic shows. And and I was thinking that, you know, we both come from theater and I think you were an actor for a while and a director for a while and you worked with some amazing theater artists. And I I was too. I was an actor in New York for many, many years in a lot of little theater companies. And it was really ER and the West Wing that made me want to be an actor. But it was shows like Southland and Shameless that made me want to be a casting director. And I wanted to just talk to you about the theater for a little bit and you can share with our listeners you know what theaters you you worked through but i'm wondering if you agree with me in that the best actors i have ever seen in my life were theater actors and they are actors that nobody's name will ever they will not be an imdb very much because they're working and it's very hard for an actor to turn down a season at alabama shakes or or Seattle rep and to stay in town and get to know casting directors so that they can put you on TV shows. You know, they're they're out in the regions or, or they're out doing little black box midnight, you know, Shakespeare shows downtown. I don't know. Do you agree with me? Well, I I mean, I, I'm not quite sure I can make such a blanket statement that the mm-hmm. theater actors are vastly better than film and television actors. But I, I certainly agree with you that dedicating a certain time in your life to performing live in front of an audience, reacting openly and honestly to things that happen on the stage are great keys. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly, you know, my dear friend, Tony Sepulveda used to make us all go to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival together. And I, I, I it was a bit of a trip on a small plane. Oh, I don't, yeah. I don't love flying like that, but, you know, a a certain amount of pre-boarding alcohol can get me there. And, and I did see actors there that later came to Los Angeles. Dan Donahue comes to mind. Gene Smart, I think. Yeah. Gene Smart came. Deputy Beatrice, uh, you know, uh, others. And uh, some of them had had careers in Los Angeles before and then moved to Oregon so that they could make a decent living in a place that was a decent place to raise their families and still be their most creative selves. I love the theater and I, but, I, but, you know, I think I said in the book at one point that when I made the transition from working in the theater to working in television, I thought to myself, well, John, you know, you've been an artist and now you're about to be a whore. And then I discovered that the people in television that I got a chance to work with were every bit as dedicated mm-hmm. to community and collaboration, creativity, and, and doing the best possible work as the people I had worked with in the theater. There were different differences. I mean, I think money and fame mattered more to people in film and television than it did to people in the theater. And it was more available. So those things were more available. So I, I don't hold that against anybody. 
I, I've loved everything I've had a chance to do. That's why I think whatever innate talent and intelligence and creativity I, I bring to it, and I, I do bring some, I, the opportunity to be in an environment that made me happy every day, even when I mm-hmm. was miserable personally, was a godsend. And, and just to go back to, to, you know, you're, you're talking about my book being, having that personal element. I wouldn't have done that on my own. I'm really a private kind of a guy, but Trudy Roth, who there would be no book without her, who wrote the book with me and who is now a lifelong friend, it really encouraged me to open up and tell my personal story uh, because she felt that it enhanced my professional story, deepened it. Right. And I'm, I'm grateful to her for that because it did. And, uh, you know, I, I'll tell you a funny story. My ex-wife, the mother of my two children, who's still a friend of mine, read an early draft of the book and she said, God, John, you've had such a wonderful career and you've obviously, you know, loved it. Why'd you have to talk about our marriage so much? <laughs> I can understand that. Well, that's what I loved about it is just really brutal honesty. And I think that that kind of transparency is so important, John, because back when I was an actor, you know, the casting directors, it was so it was so hard to understand what they did, who they were. They seemed so intimidating and unapproachable. And that that distance between, you know, on opposite sides of the audition table just seem like an ocean. And so for you to tell your story, your ups and your downs and jobs that you won and jobs that you lost and jobs that you stormed off of, that is so refreshing to see the real person behind the persona. Yeah, well, I mean, I I really, I, I know from my life that I have a certain authority or something that can for people who are susceptible to being intimidated by that, I don't think it's me exclusively. I think it's mostly them. But one of the things I wanted to do in the book was to demystify our role Mm -hmm. and to uh, accentuate the idea that we're working with actors. We're collaborating with actors. We're on the same side. We want you to succeed, but not because we're the greatest human beings that ever lived, but because it's in our best interests. I'm sure you know that there's nothing worse than having a shitty session on Wednesday and being in the office till 10 o'clock, trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do on Thursday and Friday to rebound. And of course, that happens to everybody. Right, 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 right. What I love about the book, and everybody, you have to go out and read it. It's such such a great book, and you're just going to see your lives flash before your eyes when you read these breakdowns of the shows that we have come to love. And 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 really characters who've become archetypes, you know, the characters yeah, in e, in ER and, and the West Wing are just like you. Other people write breakdowns that reference those characters. This is a Josh oh. Lyman type or this is a Doug Ross type. But it's really I think if you're an actor, you should really read John's book and really read those breakdowns and then think about who who actually got cast in the role, because. What I try to tell actors is I put out the breakdown on one version of the script, but by the time we get to auditioning you, the concept of the role may have completely changed and we've, we're opening it up to other options or we're, we've cast one role and that has a domino effect 
on yeah. the rest of it. But I love that you include the original breakdown on all of the, the on all on so many of, of your shows. Why was it important hey. for you to include that? Well, for one thing, yeah, Lisa, I worked at Breakdown Services early in my life in Los Angeles. And so I, I, I was intimately aware of, of the process and, and, you know, what Gary Marsh created that re- is re- remarkable. I mean, yes, it's absolutely an industry staple. He created a thing that, you know, without, uh, without it, our communication would have been impossible in the old days. And, and then he moved his company into the technology world so that he, so that it, it maintained its relevance for all these years. And, you know, I, I've written most of those breakdowns. And then, of course, they go to the writer and the director for revisions. And then in most of my career, the hierarchy was clear because besides the episodic writer or director or even the pilot writer or director, John Wells was at the top of the totem pole and he always had the final say on everything. And, but it all started with a concept meeting at which I discussed race and gender and, you know, some adjectives about the qualities. And you'd learned as you went on in in your career that you didn't want to reveal too much story because once there was the internet, then then everybody knew that Dr. Green was going to die. That sort of ruined everything. Right. You have to be very careful about that. Yeah. About what you disclose for sure. Absolutely. But, you know, I was able to, those breakdowns are copyrighted and they're not public domain, but because I have a longstanding relationship with Gary, I asked him for permission to, you know, to include them in the book. And I think, I think it's pretty much inside baseball. I'm not sure a lot of people outside of the business who I think could read the book and enjoy it no matter what they do. They love television. And if they're interested in you know, what goes into building a show, but, but it, it, it did definitely that and the lists of, of all of the people that appeared in, for instance, ER, it still sort of blows my mind because you look back and you go, oh shit, you know, that was her first job. Exactly. (laughs) That's what makes me so excited. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but sometimes when you're you're on a project and you're making offer lists and that's fine, where you're putting lots of fancy names, exciting, expensive names, A-list names on a list. And a lot of us, probably our lists look very much alike. I I think your grandmother could make a list of the best (laughs) 45-year-old leading man in movies. Why not? Absolutely. But what's really exciting and what you're getting to is when you, the thrill of the hunt for me is what I love, the search. And especially when you start to champion an actor who has come in over and over again and just left it on the floor. And I think on Criminal Minds, I think the average was you had to audition like like 12 or 13 times before you finally were the key for the lock, you know, and that's a lot. That's a lot of hard to get. I'm easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, we're casting very different times, but you know, when I look at the cast list that you put together and I think, oh, that's the first job for that person. And then you see them later really fly and shine and other people are like, wow, you know, that's what's so exciting. I couldn't agree more. There's nothing more, more exciting than finding someone. It's not that you are the only one who could have found right. someone. And I hate that when casting directors say, 
I discovered so-and-so. Right. I mean, you know, if I hadn't, somebody else would have 20 minutes later. But, but it it's is a col- it's a collaboration, you know. Yeah, no, and nobody, you know, none of us make a, a single decision on our own. You know, right, so you, right. you can't claim anybody. I mean, I, I guess you can claim your twins and I can claim my son and daughter. But right. beyond that, people create themselves. We just happen to see them. Well, but that's so important that you see them. And I think that you and, and the other thing I love about a couple of names on your list. Can you talk about C. Thomas Howell a little bit? Because Thomas uh, Howell, right? And when you're on, a, I was on a long running procedural and you run all these long running shows and and a lot of our cast lists are this are similar, but you, and I wasn't on Criminal Minds at the time, it was April Webster and Scott David, but you and they both cast Tommy when I don't think a lot of people were giving him opportunities at the time. I think yeah, you cast and, and him we up. Had him, yeah, we had him in, in Southland, and he, he, he actually called me after he shot maybe the third episode, and he, he said, oh, you know, in that voice of his, he said, John, I love playing this son of a bitch. <laughs> Dude, are you kidding me, man? I had to get you here before the corn to move the body. Check this out. You know how they always say TV kills brain cells? Voila. You've got to be shitting me. <laughs> what the hell happened? Hey, let me clue you in, Sherlock. Pussy Galore over there said they liked to do it while watching porn. He also liked the bottom. So he mounted the TV up there, pulled it out over the top of them. But I guess he wasn't too handy because he used the wrong screws. Well, where was she when this happened? She said it missed her head by an inch. I always said, blowjobs can save lives. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And and, and it, I guess we nobody had seen him that way. I mean, you know, he was part of the Brat Pack, right? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. The pre-Brat Pack, the ET Pack. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah for so, sure. So, but, and he 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 played a a shithead and a racist and a and he was delicious <laughs> in that part. <laughs> he absolutely was. And I think on Criminal Minds, April and Scott put him in the role of a of a serial killer, and he ignited the imagination of the audience. And when you're working on a show, you know, the showrunners are very, again, it's collaborative and they're listening to the audience. They're like, they love this guy. And they kept bringing him back again and again and again. And, and, you know, for an actor, that's, that is really, that can be life-changing on, on, a, on shows like ours because of the, you know, the residuals. And then it just, it makes him available but for but other not things. Just and, and, you know, so yeah. much of acting has to do with confidence. Mm-hmm. That, you know, and, 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 and if talented casting directors love, if six of us love the same guy, you know, it must make him feel good. I, I, I never have had six women fall in love with me at the same time. I'm oh, sure come it would, on. <laughs> I'm sure it would have had a fabulous impact. <laughs> so I guess let's talk about the relationship that you have with some of your producers who you've been able to collaborate with. For so, so long. And, and if you think that those collaborations are very different now than they were when, when you were really getting, hitting the stride in your career. Yeah, well, you know, I don't think it's, I mean, it's incredibly uncommon to have a, a long-term relationship with a producer. I, 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 most casting directors bounce from job to job and, and they get jobs, I think, mostly because studio and network executives have worked with them before and like their work and like working with them. And so they get recommended 
to showrunners, new showrunners, or even old showrunners who haven't just selected somebody to work with over and over again. But John Wells was hired by Warner Brothers to kind of temper the room on China Beach because John Sacred Young, who wrote the pilot with William Broyles, Bill Broyles, was kind of a notorious spender, Mm. kind of like, Kind of like he didn't really, he was making a television show, not a budget. And so I think Wells was on an overall deal at Warner Brothers that he was put into John Young's world to kind of keep him on the straight and narrow. And, and actually John and I butted heads a little bit at the very beginning of our relationship, because I think he rightly saw me as a John Young guy, because I had done the pilot with John and Bill and Rod Holcomb, the director. And, but we started to hit it off. And I think greatly we hit it off because he recognized my theater world life. And John was a graduate of Carnegie Mellon and, and was a stage manager early in his life in the theater in Pittsburgh. And uh, we found each other. We recognized each other as collaborators, people who cared about community. And we began a relationship that's lasted 35 seven years and I count my lucky stars that that happened. And as a result of that, the writers on China beach, Lydia Woodward, Carol Flint, you know, directors that came on to ER that I worked with David Nutter, Chris Chulak, you know, Jonathan Kaplan, Tommy Schlamy, so many of those people who I got a chance to collaborate with more than once, more than five times. And then, then we had that common language and those common experiences to draw on, which makes the process more fun, more pleasant, more mutual and, you know, better. Yeah. And do you sort of start to anticipate, like you, you, you might see an actor in a pre, pre-read or something and you start going, oh. John's going to love this person. Like you start Absolutely. to have an inner instinct on, and with director, I mean, that's true with directors too. You're like, oh, oh, I'm going to save this person for this director's episode because they will really, you know, you get to have that, yeah. that inner, that inner. And then there, are, then there are other directors who don't show up to casting and want you to send it to them on videotape. And then they take three days to watch it and you want to punch them in the nose and never yes. work with them. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Everybody is different. I think it would amaze actors to know that a lot of directors don't really, I'm going to, this is a general statement, don't really know how to communicate with actors. They're okay. not from our world. They may not be from theater. They may be from film school. And they're much more at ease talking about a lens or a filter or, or a location. And some of them, like the casting department is kind of, they're not their favorite department. I mean, I think that... that well, uh, it's because it, it, it reveals that they're more interested in machines than people. And, and uh, you know, it's kind of arrogant of them to think they should be in charge of telling people's stories if they're not, you know, I mean, I think what you and I share is an incredible love of people and their stories, not just their happy stories, but all their stories. You know, in the theater, theater directors, they definitely do have a a different language that they can use with actors. And and you you have a much longer time to spend on a play. And I don't think people understand that the director is kind of the guest 
of the house. When we're part of the family, the casting director and the producers and the writers, it's kind of our house and you're our guest and you're jobbed in and out. And it's our Which is great way of putting it. I, <clears throat> I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's exactly correct. And you kind of have to protect the show sometimes <laughs> from a choice that a director might want because it's like, well, look, you're here for this episode. But we got, you know, we got 10 more episodes and we have to bring the ship back to the port and it's all got to feel, you know, really cohesive. You know, and Uh, and, but again, this is another great advantage I have of having a long term relationship with Wells. If a director has picked somebody out of the session that I really don't like, I text him and say, hey, the director wants to use this guy. And I thought we had three better choices. Please wait, please you know, watch the tape of the director's choice. And if you have some reservations too, I can give you other choices to look at. Right. Now, did the network and studio have to sign off on your choices or did you eventually have this relationship where they were just like, fine, 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 fine? No. And it's a it's a thing that I, because I'm a brat and because we've had so much success, I I'll tell you this story, which I've told before, I guess, but maybe you have a different audience. We were doing a pilot at Fox, written by Krista Vernoff, who's mm-hmm. gone on to do really great stuff. And there was a one-line emergency medical technician, ambulance guy. And one of our series regulars was injured. And this guy drove up in the in the bus and got out of the bus and walked over to the injured person and said, whatever it was they said, and a studio, a network executive who I like, he's a nice man, and he's gone on to do, be a casting director and not a casting executive. He's a good guy. He didn't approve this one-line EMT. Mm-hmm. And I kind of lost my ship, which I've learned not to do because in this political climate, you can't be passionate out loud with dirty words. But I finally said to him, you know, this was after the 15 year run of ER. I said to him, you know, I've cast more one line EMTs than everybody else on the planet earth. How can you possibly say you don't approve of him? He'll be on the screen for as long as it takes you to take your glasses off and put them back on, Mm -hmm. you know, shut up. But, you know, as things have gotten more and more politically correct, that kind of passionate conversation, it can't happen. Yeah. And when I think we've lost something, it, you know, and I, I certainly respect that we should be polite to each other and we should be kind to each other and we shouldn't be insulting and disgusting, but, and I could be all of those things. But, but uh, that said, when you're working with a producer like John Wells, and a casting director who's worked with John for all those years. It seems arrogant and foolish to say I don't approve of that choice. Well, it is interesting because of the politics that go on at the studio, which must be immense, that you kind of have to be justifying your job constantly, right? Exactly. So if so if you're not, you know, weighing in on something like oh my gosh, or am I needed? Am I necessary? You know, and I, I always Yeah. And they've, they've cut casting, you know, Max or whatever it's now called, has no casting department anymore. Yeah. Warner Brothers Television has a 
important and good casting group. But, right. you know, and to me that, again, I, I mean, I think there ought to be a casting department at the network, but I also think they ought to respect the track record of the people they're working with. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I've had, you know, a great experience. Very rarely has it come down the pike like, you need to cast this person. We have an overall deal with this person or we're courting this person. Find a spot in the season for this person. Very rarely, but gosh. But that's, that's actually okay, Lisa. What's really not okay is having no ideas of your own and simply saying not approved. Right, exactly. I mean, that, is, that is nothing. But, you know, I'll tell you a story about an approval and it, it wasn't altogether the network's fault or mistake. But, you know, the Mickey Milkovich in Shameless. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, who went on that relationship between Ian Gallagher and Mickey Milkovich became one of the real focal points. Oh, my God. Of, Noel is a fucking amazing actor. I mean, he's, yeah, he's a wonderful actor. Yeah. But the, the stage direction that the episode writer wrote to introduce that character did an homage to a Western when three men on giant horses who were giant men came riding over the hill into town and intimidating the hell out of everybody. And, and so when we sent Noel, you know, Noel is dangerous in lots of ways and explosive in lots of ways, but he ain't huge and he ain't riding a big horse. You know, mm -hmm. he's not a Western bad guy. He's an urban Gamp. I have no qualms about reaching down your throat, through your intestines, and at your fucking asshole to take back whatever you stole. Hand it over. Here. Asshole? Still this ugly piece of shit? What's wrong with you? No, and, and so they, they said no. And we said, what? And they said no. And we said, you're kidding, right? And eventually, John won. And, you know, when you're doing a pilot, as I'm sure you know, winning is not necessarily a good idea because then they go into it with a bad taste in their mouth and they'll never like that person. Exactly. But when it was in the middle of a season and we knew where it was going and they maybe thought they knew where it was going, but they didn't, you know, eventually Noel was approved and became one of the really i mean that relationship the wedding episode yeah you know it was it, it, to feel so happy for such a creep <laughs> i know it's incredible it's incredible the pathos and the vulnerability he brought to that role and and yeah. all that is to me he's watched me very many many times and and i really wanted him when i, I was working on a show for uh, a movie for debbie zane and and he came in and i was like who is this kid and i really was you know crossing my fingers for him and it didn't work out but that, that, again that's somebody who you champion and what we were saying about the breakdown it's like you know the network has the breakdown and that's what that's their sort of map but a show a movie is a living thing it yeah. has a process it's an Absolute. art it's an art yeah ab absolutely and it, it and it creates in each of us the artist that we want to become if we if we're flexible and if we learn to you know i mean i've had writers and i'm sure you have too go like yeah but you know he just doesn't look right i wrote this about my cousin Vinny, and he doesn't he, this guy couldn't be Vinny if his life depended on it's like well 
it isn't your cousin Vinny, and it's not a documentary film, and it's not a a reproduction of what your first idea was. It's fluid. It's moving. Right, right, right. Those are hard conversations to have because, I mean, I'm there to help the writer achieve their vision. So it's a really interesting navigation, you know. Well, that's the other thing I want to mention about your relationship with John Wells. It's like, to some extent, or, or with any showrunner on a new pilot, you're you also are kind of protecting them or defending their vision when the network sure. starts to forget and they're looking at the hole and not the donut or, or as you get into uh, the process of a- and because we're we're first out of the barrel, that's where the differences about style and tone and even content get worked out in the casting process. And you know, because as I told, as I said earlier, my nature is kind of combative. And John also likes to hire combative people so he can remain above the fray. So when there was conflict with the network or the studio, he would usually send us out, you know, like the cops, like on on Southland, when, you know, Dewey would always send somebody else in the door first because he didn't want to get shot. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so glad you brought up Southland because we also share a love for Sean Hattesey, who is just amazing. And I went, I shouldn't have done this because I got sucked into it immediately. But in preparation for today, I went and I was watching a couple episodes of of Southland and how baby faced Sean Hattesey looks. But I first, you know, I was assisting Billy Hopkins in New York. I don't know if you know Billy at all. Yeah. And so I was his assistant and we, and we cast Sean in an off-Broadway play with Anna Paquin and Anna Gasteyer. And it was really, really oh, cool. Oh, I love Anna and Anna. Yeah. And I was like, who is this kid? He was, he's playing such a knucklehead, kind of a jock, you know, dummy. And then to see his his career grow. And then I was flipping through channels. I'd never watched Southland before. And this was was like mid-season. And I didn't know what was happening. But I saw him and I was like, what? And, you know, just watching that episode, it just sucked me in. I was like, who cast this? And I, you know, I looked you up and I saw your name and I was an associate. And I thought, I'm dying to write to you and say, I just love this show. And I would love to. I I wish you had. We would have known each other 10 years earlier. Well, in any case, so talk, talk to me about Sean Hattesey. I just love him well, and, and then casting him. The only, Sean is the only actor that has auditioned for me three times and gotten the job all three times. Um, right. he, he, he read for and played a, a multiple personality guy on ER. And that's where I first saw the dark and dangerous side of him. Uh, and, then, and then for Southland. He was just so wonderful in the troubled role of the recently divorced guy. Yeah. And, and, then, and then again, finally, for Animal Kingdom, where he played perhaps the craziest person that's ever been on television. Cass never talked to the cops. This detective, the stop bad. I followed him. I confronted him. I got into his face and I made him tell me. You talked to a cop. I had to know. He lied. Cops lied. He wasn't just saying it. She didn't talk. You told me she talked. She didn't talk! Stunning. Uh, Stunning. His whole physicality is... Yeah, and the voice and the rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Everything about it just spoke of this open heart, this wounded heart, 
this protected heart. And, and you know, when, when, when we first, you know, John always had a kickoff party and, uh, and, uh, he had a bunch of parties for each show. And my longtime partner, after she saw the pilot of animal kingdom, when I tried to introduce her to Sean, she was like, I'm not sure I even want to talk to him. He's at his mouth. And of course, the best thing, even better than how talented he is and how brave he is as an actor and how skilled he is in, as an actor is what a wonderful, warm, sweet, lovely guy he is. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he just throws himself in that role. And I want actors who are, who are listening to this, please go, and if you haven't, watch Sean on Animal Kingdom and watch his body, watch his neck. I mean, just watch what he does with his eyes. He's got like these dead reptilian eyes yep. that are in, is not normal. I mean, that is not the way he normally is. Um, and I want to shout out his wife too, Kelly Albanese, who's a fucking great actress too, who is not getting enough work. So please, you know. yeah, I agree completely. Uh, yeah. She, she, uh, I was able to put her into SEAL Team, but haven't had as much luck with her. Although my God, is she she's so beautiful. So good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, what else do I want to talk about you? Blah, 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 blah. Oh, and the and the other thing you did so well. May I just, you know, just throw all these compliments at you? Sorry, I can't help it. But like casting the younger versions of actors is like one of my favorite things to do when there's a flashback. Mm -hmm. and you, It is so much fun, not just to find, obviously you're looking for physical resemblance, but just that essence. Because you've got to see the, the seed of the character that grows into the series regular that we know. And you you did that so beautifully on Animal Kingdom. The the kids and even Layla George, where did you find her? I mean, she playing a young Ellen Barkin, who is a handful and a half. And I've asked Ellen before, but, you know, casting somebody who, you know, they don't look alike. I think they have different colored eyes and all that stuff. But she captured the yeah. Ellen-ness of Ellen. Um, where did you find her? Well, uh, you know, she just came in through the process, Lisa, and I'm a great believer in the process. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when we, some of us have to go into meetings looking for a job, they expect you to come in with lists. I, don't, I can't do that. Until I've talked with you and thought about it and read the script 10 times and then talked with 100 agents, and I'm not going to do that much work until you're paying me. So, oh, right. but, you know, she just, Someone I trusted, and I don't really remember who it was, said she was in town. She's Australian. Yeah. Or half, yes. Her, her, she comes from a great lineage. Her, yeah. her, her father is a great actor, and so is her mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, she read, and she, I remember her reading when we went over to John Wells's office in Hollywood, and, and there were two women who read for that part. And after, after she walked out of the door, he was just like, well, thanks. She's going to be a star. This is like a phone book of all the criminals and crooked assholes in San Diego County. So, you going to call them, tell them you killed Max and you're in charge now? Yeah, they might not be too happy that their partner's gone. Your partner? I was shaking him down just like he was doing to us. That's how things work. So we do it different. Oh. If we need something from someone, we cut them in. If someone brings us a job, we give them a piece. We could build a network. Us? Yeah, us. You 
you've got other crews knocking down your door Enough. with work. Go home, Janine. Excuse me? Your kids watched you shoot My a kids are fine. They're not. Yeah, they are. It's a shame Colin's not here. Maybe you could talk some sense into you. It really is a shame. Since he's been gone, I've been stuck with a shitty gambler and a part-time carpenter with no balls. You guys make me sick. I know. She's incredible. You know, and I appreciate your compliment about the, the three young people in Animal Kingdom. And it's interesting because that was my first exposure to Zoom callbacks. And the whole thing, all of those actors did self-tapes. The one who ended up playing Pope as a young man read originally for, for the other male part, for Scott Speedman at 17. And I, I was fortunate enough to see pants that audition and say, hey, get him back in tomorrow and have him read Sean's part. And he did. And then we did a mix and match chemistry reading, uh, which I had never done before. And it was horrifying. I mean, I, it, it went against all my humanist instincts. I, I like to see what's happening out of the frame to an actor. I, I like to see what's going on with their knees and their shoes. Yes. <laughs> While, yeah. And not just their eyes and their voice. Yeah, and and uh, and, and uh, miraculously, we still were able to make good, really good decisions. Well, I thought it, I thought it was incredible, and yes, it is a new normal. We're doing a lot of things like this interview via Zoom, and yeah, yeah, yeah it's a new normal. A couple of things I want to ask you about are table reads. I love table reads. There, it's such a joyous moment where you know the whole production basically gets to see what you've been working on for the previous eight days. And, you know, usually you're super proud and it's just such a great moment. I know some directors are like, ah, fuck the table read. This is a waste of time. But I got to tell you that a lot comes out of that table read. The writer is like, oh, this isn't working. You know, it's it's so valuable. And I think that's from our theater. I mean, you would never not do a table read with in theater. I mean, the, the first oh, read is so important. But what's your, what's your, John what does table read before every episode. Yeah. And I am sort of the host of those table reads. Right. Uh, it's the first chance to welcome the guest players and introduce them to the people they're, they're going to have scenes with. And, yeah. and it's the only time that I see in person, my studio and network counterparts. And that's yes. always fun. And also for me, I often got to ask. Yes, table reads. me too. Uh, and <laughs> now that it doesn't make a damn bit of difference to me, I'm pretty good. Right? <laughs> Funny? I know, I feel the same yeah. way. But also, like, when you're working on a, you know, really compl complex shows like you are, you know, the table read can, you know, because everybody's role is so chopped up. You know, you come in for a day here, a day there. And when you can sit at the table and hear the whole script out loud, and it's like, oh, I get what's going on. I get my place in it. And and for yeah. me, you know, every time I get a new script back when I was on a series, my whole staff, we would read the script out loud together and we'd assign uh -huh. each other the parts so we could just really hear it and hear the flow and then be able to ask questions. It's just so important. And, and I just I just hope we're not getting into this like super efficient AI world where we, we, we shortcut the process as you were speaking I, about, I, you know, for me, that's like a religious belief. I, uh, you know, I mean, I actually think it's kind of 
arrogant to think that you can tell stories about human beings, love gained or lost, power gained or lost, you know, all those wonderful stories that, that, and being in the middle of telling human stories is such a valuable opportunity to grow and change yourself as a person. And if it's all on Zoom, I mean, I can feel you on this Zoom review. You probably instinctively get me. Yeah. But I think that's because we have a attuned sense of getting each other. And uh, I have always said, and, and uh, I mean it, casting is like falling in love and then behaving yourself. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, you know, every once in a while or every few years, somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I have this great program that will help your casting and, and it'll, you know, and now, especially with the whole AI, everybody's talking about AI, that's, that's, that's really rearing its ugly head and people are approaching me all the time of how it's going to save my time or it's going to take my job. And I'm always a bit cheeky about it. And I'm like, you know, look, I'm not a coder. I'm not a programmer. So bear with me. Is it possible? To, can AI get a hard on? I mean, is, you know, can AI cringe? Can an AI casting person fall in love or fall in hate or or have, the, you know, until that happens, I think our jobs are very safe. Well, I hope so. You know, no, I, I really believe that because. You, you have to have a human, have the human experience of witnessing what it is. And, and sure, there are programs and there always have for years and years where I could put in parameters of what I'm looking for, you know, age, ethnicity, blah, blah, blah. And it will spit out at me a bunch of names. But that doesn't matter. Even on IMDb, you know, like the star rating thing. I mean, at one time, number one on that rating was Honey Boo Boo. Right. Nothing yeah. against Tony Boo Boo, but like that. But you didn't tell- want her to be on your show. <laughs> not, not, not necessarily, you know. So well, I, I, I mean, you know, I'm grateful to technology that I'm not sitting on the floor opening uh, <laughs> 280 envelopes one morning and sorting through the pictures and putting them on a on a, a filing cabinet and then finally getting to go through them for a substantive reason. I'm grateful for that, but I'm not grateful for the absence of human contact. I mean, I, you know, we, we've lost technology and the pandemic combined over the last three years to make it Im- almost impossible to have a visceral human interaction with anybody. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, I just had a session this morning. I'm casting this little film that I really love. And and I had live, you know, Zoom auditions with like, I don't know, like 15 actresses this morning. And it's like we got each other. We made each other laugh. And like they're coming into my house with my crazy dog and I'm seeing them. And and so, I mean, I think it's possible. And also when people were coming live into my office, I mean, I'm looking at them through a camera. I mean, yes, I'm looking at them, but I am. There is something to be said about the objectivity of yes. the lens. Well, when um, we did when we did those three parts of the kids on Animal Kingdom, the director said to me at a certain point, "You know, this is really weird, isn't it?" And I said, "Yes, it sure is." And then he said, "But you know, eventually, if they get the job, they're gonna our audience is gonna see them on television. So it's really not all that weird." And I understand that. But uh, for me, and, and, you know, I wasn't, I'm not the camera operator in my office. I have associates. Mm-hmm. That. Copy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I'm looking at them personally, and I'm also the front of the house 
in my office. I go out and get people and I greet them and I bring them yeah. in. And I, I learned so much about people watching them interact with the competition, watching their preparation, you know, the people who have their headsets on and the yeah. people who were trying to get a date with one of the ladies from the other part. And, you know, it, it's very interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah that's uh, true. And you learn a lot about the people. Yeah, this is really true. I remember one time I was sitting at my assistant's desk for some reason. I was getting something out of his desk and this actor came in and was just a fucking dick to me thinking that I was the assistant. And then a little while later, he comes in and he's like, oh, and he's, and, you know, he's got his whole like, hi, I'm here for the cast. And it's like, uh-huh. Yeah. You know, no, you have to treat everybody here with respect, Absolutely. Not, not just when you need something from me. So anyway. Yeah. And we. I think that's happened a lot. We, we had, right after we cast the trans character on Shameless, yeah. which was a great experience for me because I had very little experience with trans people. It, and it was a great experience for lots of reasons. But a guy came in who was the father of a classmate of the actor who got the part. And that when that person was in their birth gender, I don't know if that's a phrase that's politically used, but it was a Catholic girls school mm -hmm. and his daughter was a classmate of this person when he was a girl and he expressed so much disdain for trans people and for this particular person that we knew, and he's a good actor, yeah. man in his fifties. Everybody was like, I, I don't want to spend 12 hours with him. Yeah, you recount that very vividly in your book. And I think at the end of the day, we, it, life is too short to work with assholes. You know what I mean? Like we, we, we have to just, it's just, we want to have a lot of joy. It's a hard enough job as it is. And, yeah. and boy, you have brought so much joy into my life with the shows that you've worked on. And all, and boy, when you pick up John's book, he goes into detail about everything we've talked about today. He goes into just granular detail. And I think people are just going to really love your book, which is right for the role. Um, anything else you want to share? Yes, to say that it's available on Amazon. I think it's under 10 bucks for the digital version, the e version. And, and it's under 20 bucks for the paperback. And it's under right around 30 bucks for the hardcover. <laughs> and well, I'm going to be doing a couple of more live autographing and selling books directly myself. So uh, if you want to follow me on the miraculous and annoying Instagram, you're, you're welcome to. It's John underscore Frank underscore Levy. Don't forget that pesky second E in my last name. And uh, it's also available. There are some signed copies at the Barnes and Noble in Studio City on Ventura Boulevard. I, 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 I frequent there and I'm an avid reader. So they've been very, very nice to me. Well, it's must reading, whether you are in this industry or just a fan of these shows, it's must reading. And I hope everybody gets their copy. I really enjoyed mine. And thank you, mister, for joining me here. I really, it's really just such an honor. <laughs> can't even tell you to have you here and to have gotten to know you a bit since we appeared on a panel a few weeks ago. And I really just appreciate your time. I thank you for the invitation and thank you for the respect. It's greatly appreciated. 
All right. So for now, this is Killer Casting signing off.